0: I press this button here. Let's see. How are we doing? I think there might be sound. Uh, this might be early. I'm, I'm a few seconds early. Isn't that exciting? Crikey. Uh, hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Am I coming through fairly uh, fairly clearly? Uh, hi, 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 hi. Uh, yes. Good. Oh, let's go big face. I've just... I've literally, I'm, I've am i been late for dramatic effect to show you how re- recently I got in. I just wanted to make sure all the kit was working. I uh, just got in. So, well, oh, I'm bleached. Leave me alone, lights. Uh, no, that doesn't help. Why are they so bleachy today? Oof. Anyway, at some point I'll get a, a rig, professional rig that doesn't look, look, make me look totally bleached out. Do I even need these on? Wait a minute, let's... It's a vintage, isn't it? Anyway. Oh, I'll just get rid of this jacket. Oh, very excitingly. For anyone who's a, a York Permanent Way Institution person, very excitingly. I don't want to shoot our own fox here, but um, we're relaunching. So we've just been at the meeting of the, uh, the feature committee, uh, which is nice. Oh, how are you all? Are you well? Hello, everyone. Oh, lots of friendly faces. Hello, hello, hello. Um. Probably not too long an episode tonight. I need to. Where's my? I need to. I need to put a little like thing down in the bottom corner, like here or, or there, that says big face or something, just to so that people know what's going on. Um, yeah. Uh, hi, hi. Things, things are behind me. Uh, the this, 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 this. Yeah, this is irrelevant. Right, I'm stop waffling. Hello to all the audio-only listeners. The podcast seems to be working. Is everyone who listens in podcast form? Uh, is it working for you all? Hello, everyone. Let's um, yeah. Is it working for y'all? Good, good. Any thoughts, queries today? Uh, probably because the dark jacket was messing with auto exposure. Oh yeah, that's much better. It's kind of normalized again. Oh, let's um, let's get the old uh, let's get the old out and have a look at the COVID stat, shall we? Hello. I'm saying hello like a delusional person because uh because I am. But we need to do that. I also need to switch off my cap cursor capture. You don't need you don't need that. So if I bring this over here, let's do this. No, nope. let's do this and this. Excellent. oh huh. So uh latest COVID statistics, by which I mean travel statistics, not the uh you know transport usage, not the the statistics associated with the risk of a new, you know, the next the 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 Omicron Percy date. Uh, Lers variable whatever we're calling it the 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 variant that is omicron um anyway we're going to look at the stats which is it's interesting that it kind of stabilizes it seems to be sort of stabilizing week on week here there's a sort of this sort of step that you get um which is interesting anyway um so you can see we've sort of been sat at uh above just at or above the 70% mark which is nice um in this in this recent sort of dump actually no it's not weekly because this is my big let's look at that let's zoom in so you can see the general trend continues to be upwards for for rail travel reasonably rapidly buses have sort of sat stabilized at 80 percent let's look at let's zoom in a bit and have a look at the the bigger picture so uh i mean it it does seem to stabilize these ones seem to there seem to be some level of stability i mean there's a very gentle upwards climb in the rail ridership statistics um but uh, yes, so so there we go, we, we, we've we got, what have we got, we've got, anyway, the point is, we're aiming for 75% reliably by the end of the year, and we're, we're certainly, st- we seem to be on track for this, don't worry about this, that's, uh, they always, you can see it always pitches down, there's this sort of cyclical, so let's see what happens with the um, the ridership stats, I mean that is quite a steady drop, maybe it will pitch downwards, but as it's be another one of these weird cycles that we'll get. I don't know where they come from. Maybe it's bad weather or some some reason for the for the, the reduction in travel. Uh, yes, I don't know what happened to the epsilon variant. I have absolutely no idea. Um, none at all. Um, yeah, there we go. That's the stats. I don't think there's much more to say about that. Really, road road usage is where you'd expect it to be. Cycling usage continues to fluctuate wildly. Um, bus eighty percent, rail seventy percent. I, I think that's that's about it, and I, and I dare say this is now it's a mixture of uh, constrained demand because the the railway has is has fewer trains at the moment, um, but also there's certainly an impact from from the kind of the the London commuter uh, cycles. So that is certainly an impact. What else have we got to say? Oh yes, solidarity to um to the UCU to everyone who's striking today, um, at the at universities and colleges across the country. Um, Universities UK are an absolute shambles. The whole industry is an in absolute shambles. Uh, and solidarity to colleagues, uh, fret colleagues, friends. Well, colleagues, I, I'm wait a minute. I'm I mean, stri- weirdly, does this make me a? Am I a scab? If well, I'm not working at the university, but anyway, I have a zero hours contract, so I don't know how that works. But I, I, I'm a university sort of employee, I suppose. But uh, solidarity to colleagues, friends, um, Dina, everyone who's striking today, um, and will be striking. Go out and support them if you can. Beep as you pass picket lines. Go and take them a sandwich, that sort of thing. Um, big up. So, it's uh, no news. I, I didn't spot any particular news things happening the last week. So there's no news this week. Um, also because I got back very late, uh, had very little time to pull the slides together. Um, any any news that people want to to kind of uh, consider? No, none, none. Okay, well in which case let's let's talk about leaves. We're here today to talk about. Leaves. So, without further ado, let's start this uh, this leafy rail matter. Mm-hmm. Ah, the city two two five fading away beautifully. Fading away, and I, I should say, as a bit of a warning, I've had to put a picture of a crash. There's no text on here, but if you're watching with the, the, the audio described, it'll appear. It's not a particularly violent-looking image, so I don't think it's too bad. But here is the picture of Salisbury. And here's the consequences of leaves um, on the line. One of the real challenges we have, and this is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to start by talking about Salisbury. So the interim report's not out yet, but the, we're going to talk a little. Given that there's a bit of water under the bridge, um, I hope the drivers recover. Is is Actually, I've not had any news. Does anyone in the chat have some news about the driver and how the how the driver is doing? Um, I haven't seen an update, to be honest. And uh, you know, you don't want to pry on these things, really. Um, yeah, a lot of people talking about how how busy trains have been. Um, and uh, Matt Reed was asking when I think it'll be back to one hundred percent. I have no idea, actually. But it depends on government, really. It depends on what extent government is interested in um, enacting. Uh, you know, enacting policies that mean people move back to rail. And so far, government has had zero interest in any of that. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, yes, this accident was indeed caused by leaves, as we're about to find out. Uh, indeed, we're going to talk about what is going on here. This is the Salisbury Rail uh, rail crash that happened a few weeks ago. Uh, pretty awful incident involving two trains. Uh, I think arguably the more interesting thing is about how much of a mess Um, In a way, industry, but most of the media made of it. uh, I say industry holds some responsibility, I think, in terms of the messaging about what happened, the lack of communication about what what had occurred, the lack of firefighting that happened when there was clearly an incorrect message being circulated. So we're going to talk about uh, this incident a little bit. Um, What do we know happened at Salisbury? Indeed. So, um, and how I'm going to explain this is indeed by relying on this page here. This is the... uh, why, 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 I don't there we are. This is the um, this is the REIB page here, um, and it, we're going to just go through and work through the detail of this. Um, essentially, that's that's the plan. Um, so we've got this this sketch here. Um, we're going to kind of so this, so this sketch. We're going to have this sketch, and then we're going to talk through a lot um, about what happened. And this will probably it's probably about five ten minutes. We'll talk through the incident and what actually happened. Um, if you've got any questions. Uh, chuck them in my direction um, uh, Gareth Williams being in North Wales an applied member I'm fully aware of that problem uh, I was asking what type of stirring they were doing oh wait what what's stirring what's this what's stirring uh, where are we I missed it oh what happened to the epsilon variant oh I don't know uh, I I've Gareth I've missed a bit I don't know what you're saying but I, I one thing that is annoying me about what uh, uh, certain few Welsh MPs at the moment is they're making a huge fuss about HS2 in the House of Commons. Indeed, they dedicated a PMQ question to it. Um, they're missing the point of HS2. They're making an argument that undermines the good arguments against the IRP. They are undermining the case for HS2 through the not understanding, but more critically, they're undermining by chasing an argument that is is an incorrect one because of the lack of understanding of HS2. They are undermining the credible argument. For more investment in Welsh railways, and it's really causing problems. The IRP was not supposed to be about Wales. Hey, there is a valid argument to be made about HS2's uh, about the Barnett consequential for you know the, the amount of consequential funding that Wales gets as a result of HS2, but they are not making it well. They're making it based on a misunderstanding of what HS2 is, and it's really frustrating me. Anyway, I digress. Uh, right, um, what was I on about? Oh yeah, this 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 uh, the Salisbury incident. Let, let's get the let's get the hope the REIB page back up. So it was a collision that happened uh, on the thirty first of October two thousand twenty one. Um, it happened between two diff- two of these um, two of these uh, class one five nine trains that we've had an entire episode about. Actually, we had an episode about it. one of the first rail network episodes was about the class one five eight. The one five nine is a- basically the same train, um, and there was a collision between these two trains. The first train had not derailed. The first train was just minding its own business. They actually ran parallel to each other for a bit. So let's read through. So around a uh, quarter to seven on 31st of October, um, a southwestern railway passenger service um, from London Waterloo to Honiton uh, collided with the sign of a Great Western uh, railway service from Portsmouth Harbour to Bristol Temple Meads. Collision took place at Salisbury Tunnel Junction, which is on the immediate approach to Fisherton Tunnel. So if we bring this back up, you can see that the, the, there's, uh, there's one train at the bottom. Uh, actually, you need me to do this. So there's the the train, this is the Great Western Railway train, the GWR train here in red. Uh, there we are. And then this one here, uh, this one in, in, in kind of blue is the Southwestern uh Railways service uh, here, coming in after it. Uh along here in, in kind of this this nice cyan blue color. So there we go. And um so they, the the there's, there's a nice aerial view, so you can sort of see the layout. Um, as you can see, the layout of the junction you can see here. So there's, there's, it's, a, it's a double. It's what we call a double junction. So kind of two two tracks, kind of passing through each other, uh, merging into one track. Um, we try and avoid this sort of layout these days because this is quite difficult to maintain from a track perspective, and it's also not ideal from a signalling perspective. I believe, although I, sometimes I've been corrected on that. So um, any signalers out there, come correct me. Oh, hi Simon. Uh, oh, Dave, why does Scotland get a Barnett Formula pot of money, but Wales doesn't? Seeing as HS2 physically goes to Glasgow, rail uh, just needs more investment. I'd hope more from MPs, uh, Assembly uh, members, yeah, the folks in the Senate. Uh, yeah, um, let's let's answer that because it's a good question. Let's let's pause briefly the discussion of Salisbury. The Barnett consequential is is has been established because of. Um, God knows why, because the formula is stupid and because it makes no sense, because HS2's business case has always made no sense and has has never quite kind of, despite the fact that trains, HS2 trains literally go to Scotland, but they don't go to Wales. I'd argue that Wales gains much more benefit than Scotland does. Scotland doesn't gain, it gains some journey time benefits into the rest of the UK, but doesn't gain particularly, I have to be honest, from, from HS2, Arguably, argument there hits to its freight connectivity um, if you don't upgrade across the border. Whereas Wales gains massive potential benefit as a result of release capacity at um, uh, at uh, Crewe, uh, release capacity at Birmingham, and release capacity at Manchester. All, basically, all Welsh Railways services, like a all, all lot of regional services, go through those three stations. That's been fundamentally miscommunicated by government, but that's not why the Barnet Consequential is the way it is. I have honestly no idea why the Barnet Consequential is the way it is. It makes no sense. Wales should also get a consequential. It's daft that it doesn't. That's my me worth. Anyway, sorry, I digress horribly. Let's go back to small face and get on with this. So, um, at the time of the accident, the the GWR train was using the junction to join the Down Main, so it was kind of doing this, and the the Southwestern Railway service was coming along. Um, the this service uh, here, which is the Down Main, it was already on the Down Main. It should have stopped here at this sig- signal, which has a red here. You can see that. Um, so the, they're going to say what the actual impact of the collision was. The impact of the collision caused the front two coaches of the of the um, sorry, the sorry SWR service and the rear two coaches of uh, the GWR service to derail. Both trains continued some distance into the tunnel following the collision before they came to a stop. Thirteen passengers and one member of railway staff required treatment in hospital as a result of the accident, which also caused significant damage to the trains and railway infrastructure involved. Um, the driver has suffered... I believe, life-changing injuries as a result of this. You know, the driver of the uh, Southwestern Railway Service. So, so it's a pretty serious incident, um, which is why we changed the uh, the episode uh, away from the buffer stop episode when it happened, because it didn't feel right to, to kind of talk about rail crashes, given that someone had just been whacked, uh, you know, horribly whacked by a, their trains smashing together uh, in a way that was totally out of control for the driver, um, as we'll talk about in a minute. So the railway accident investigation branch's preliminary examination has found that the movement of train of the, um of the GWR train across the junction was being protected. So the signalling system was working. It was being protected from trains approaching on the down main. Um, and that danger was at, that signal was at danger. So this is the the signal here. This this one here. This is uh signal Sierra Yankee three one. It was at danger. It's protecting. It was providing a pr- protection so that trains uh, couldn't theoretically. Pr- uh, was protecting this line for the train coming through, um, but the train passed it. So the train—it was a signal passed at danger. So, so there we go. So, so that da, 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 tra- the, So the G, sorry, the SWR train passed the signal while it was at danger by around 200 meters immediately prior to the collision occurring. Uh, preliminary analysis of the data downloaded from the on-train data recorder fitted to the, uh, G- the SWR train shows that the driver initially applied service braking to slow the train on approach to the caution signal before um, Sierra Yankee 31 So that's the sig- not the signal that we see on our little diagram, but actually the warning signal in advance of that. Um, around 12 seconds after service braking started, the driver made an emergency brake demand. As the train approached the, the signal, it was at red, um, and with the emergency brake still being demanded by the driver, a second emergency brake demand was made by the train protection and warning system. So this is the on-track system mounted underneath the railway, uh, underneath the train, sort of in the six, in the six foot between the rails. That actually commands trains to stop if they pass a signal of danger. Um, these emergency brake demands did not prevent the train from reaching the junction where the collision occurred. Um, uh, the analysis of the on-train data recorder uh, information indicates that wheel slide was present both when the driver applied service braking. And after emergency braking was demanded, this was almost certainly as as a result of low adhesion between the train's wheels and the rails. So that's what we know. We don't know for certain that it was because of leaves. However, we can make pretty decent inferences by by the fact there were loads of trees in the area. By the fact it was windy, stormy, wet, trees would have been blown out. out, out, Leaves would have been blown out of the trees. And the investigation is going to look at the wheel rail adhesion. It's going to look at the performance of the um the, the the wheel slide protection braking and sanding systems on the the swr train in question uh, the behavior of the trains following and during the collision yeah that's not that, that, that'll look at the performance of the vehicles how much you know whether there's any crashworthiness features that didn't operate properly and if people could get out of them safely uh southwestern railways policies relating to low wheel rail adhesion network rails policies for the same thing and how it managed the risk in the area uh, the process is used to assess and control the risk of overrun at that particular signal and then any underlying factors. So there we go. That's what's going to be happening uh, for the investigation. Hopefully we'll get a, a report quicker than, you know, more, more rapidly than just one year. So that's what happened. Any any questions and thoughts about that while we're there? Um, uh, someone say, wasn't there another GWR that crossed the junction just ahead of the SWR? Could it be much worse? Uh, I don't know about that, actually. I don't know. Uh, narrow gauge are saying what do you think of the dry ice system to clear the railhead that's been developed by the university of sheffield and on a northern class 155 we'll get there uh, we will get there very specifically we will get there matt reed's asking what the barnet thing is matt will, will that bring that up in the discord or maybe at the end um so actually people are already answering it in the chat thanks everyone in the chat so what why are these a problem why why can we get to a situation where we have trains slipping and sliding about as a result of you know the lonely leaf why why is that a problem well, let us first let us first talk about friction. We're going to talk about friction. Uh, actually, to, we're going to talk about friction. We're also going to talk about yeah, uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah. We're going to talk about friction first, and then we'll come and talk about the science of, of leafy stuff. First. So, first of all, here is a nice diagram of two surfaces. Uh, pressed against each other if you like there's only one there's a force that's holding that's compressing the two surfaces together and that is the force of gravity acting on the object above down onto the surface below if you like oh sorry i'm yawning i'm so sorry if you like let's go big face uh have i got another object i don't know if i do Mm. anyway if you've got an object here in this case a box for my new phone and it's sitting on a surface um the friction that's hold. So if I then apply a force to move it, I'm pushing a bit, a bit, a bit, and then now it's moving. In order to overcome the... So in order to overcome the friction between the two surfaces, I need to apply a force. That force um is a sum multiple of the... Of the norm of the force that's applying between the surfaces, and it happens to be that the force applying between the surfaces, unless I apply an, ad, an additional force, you know, if unless I push down on it, if it's just relying on the on the force between the two surfaces, then the force is that force is called the normal force, and it is equivalent to the mass of this thing multiplied by uh, acceleration due to gravity, i.e., its weight, you know, the weight of a thing. My weight is not measured in kilograms, uh, in kilos, in kilograms. It's measured in uh, newtons. Um, it just so happens to be that we all call weight, we all call each other's thing weight, when actually what we're talking about is mass. So this thing has a uh, mass uh, of probably a few hundred, kilo, uh, a few hundred grams. Uh, multiply that by 9.81 or 10, which is the acceleration due to gravity, and you'll get the, the weight of, of the thing, which will be like what, a newton or something like that. Not much. So that's that. There's some nerds going uh, expanding that. Michael C is saying that the friction is resistance to the diagonal force being applied. Uh, yeah, that's true in a if you in a Wikipedia sense but actually we don't need to worry about angles and slope stuff here because uh, we're just talking about railways are basically flat So what we're really talking about is the fact that friction uh, the force um, of uh, friction or the force required to overcome if you like there's two equivalent things oh you can't see my slide let me put my slide back up. So if you like um, uh, the force we'll get to that we'll, we'll, so, so if you imagine that we've got a very high frictiony surface, um, you have to apply a certain force, at which point the thing moves, and we're going to call that force um, force F, if you like. It's the force required to overcome the friction, the the, the kind of the, the the friction between them, which is F. Uh, so this FF here, this this here is this here is the is the friction force, friction force, which is also equal, which is basically the same thing as saying um, the the force required to move the thing uh, required uh, to move. Uh, the block they might as well be the same thing that's why i've done a three a three line equal sign here so that's th- those two equal and if you can imagine we make the thing smoother you need less force so if so if i've got um you know if i've got me i just hit the microphone with a box which is horrible framework there. this is how professional the thing is right it's got me surface uh my little thing if i push this this is quite smooth but if you can imagine i say uh i'm pushing i don't know what's what's a frictiony thing i've got near me if I go down on the, I'll uh, tell you what. There we are. I've got one thing, and then I'm going to um, place this onto. Uh, I'm going to use this this loo roll here that I've got for you know, and push it. This requires a lot more force because they're quite a lot more frictiony. There we are. That kind of made the point. Um, so uh, let's go back to small face. <laughs> you can imagine you've got these two shiny surfaces. You require less force. There you are. See less force. Um, you know, there's less less kind of the force of friction is left between the two. Which means that you the difference between these two is some multiple of the normal force, and this multiple we call mu, which is what we call the coefficient of friction, which gives us the formula here down here, which is um, force friction is equal to mu times the normal force, so times the weight of the or, or the normal force really is the force between the two surfaces. In most cases, certainly on the railway, that's just the the, the mass of that's just um, m times g, where this this thing's mass is m and g is the acceleration due to gravity, right? Is everyone following so far? Does this make sense? Uh, There we go. Um, So, there you are. Uh, Now, this is relevant to railways because... uh, Oh, yeah, but there's the formula. I put it in orange because, you know, orange reasons. Um, So, this is relevant for a variety of reasons. Um, If you are braking, the way that we generally consider um, acceleration braking on a train is as a percentage of axle weight. So, um, so we call, call, you know, for example, on a modern multiple unit, a full service brake application. Uh, Any drivers on here can correct me on this. Um, A full service brake application will give you uh, about nine percent G. We call it nine percent G, which is essentially if you've got, say, you've got a a ten ton axle weight, it's probably going to be more than that. But say you've got a ten ton axle weight. Um, That means that you'll be applying um, 9% of that, so 0.09 times 10 tonnes of braking force at each axle. So that means for the whole train, you'll get the number of axles. you you get that number times the number of axles. So we call that... The reason it's useful to know that, to to consider that percent G figure, 9% G, is because if you like, um, if you reach, say, the friction at the surface of the rail is... um, that 9% figure, say it's at or say the adhesion at the rate between the steel wheel and the steel rail is at or below 9%. So y- your mu value is 0.09. That means that the f- the braking force, oh, I've missed a step in very, that's very important to explain. But if you've got that braking force, if it's 9%, then that if the, if the adhesion is 9%, then you're going to start getting wheel slip. Now, I've thankfully got this little Bulgarian uh, dish here, which I'm going to go big face again. Now, imagine this is your rail wheel, tactically placed here, and it's on the top of the, it's the train wheel, sorry, it's on the top of the rail head. What you want is at any given moment, you want that wheel to just perfectly rotate along the top of the rail head, right? You just want it to rotate, which means that at any given moment, if you can imagine we zoom right in, zoom right into the, uh, zoom right into this point, imagine that's the block. Actually, that'll be rolling, so at any given moment, you've essentially got a stationary block on top of the rail head, right? That's good. Now, if you end up with a situation where you exceed your force, uh, rotating it, which is the equivalent of our kind of uh, F force that we were looking at earlier, um, if that force exceeds the friction, then rather than it rolling, you're going to end up with slipping. You're going to end up with it slipping in rotation to the uh, in in relation to the rail, which is bad. That's wheel slip. Wheel slip means that you're getting some level of sliding. Um, uh, who's here? Uh. Yes, don't worry. This is complicated stuff that's that's that you shouldn't get first time. You might have to watch it again and also ask me questions about whether it makes sense. So, but the, the key thing to remember is that if you've got, if the wheel is 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 rotating, uh, basically if this wheel is moving at the same speed that the rail is going past underneath it. So, if I hold the wheel stationary and imagine you've got the so I'm I'm, you know, the wheel is moving freely there. That's good. We want that to happen. No friction, no uh, what we call rail creep, but that's another story. Uh, no sliding. If the wheel is moving, if the wheel is sliding like this, in the case of Salisbury, the wheel was completely locked stationary, the rail was moving underneath it, there's enough force there to be overcoming the force of friction between the the steel wheel and the steel rail. Does that make sense? Sorry, I've gone into that and explained it kind of with some level of... So, uh, key stats... Are that the friction between the the, the normal friction between steel uh, the, a dry steel wheel and a dry steel rail, um, the adhesion so so if you like the coefficient of friction the adhesion is um, between uh, thirty and forty percent right which is pretty good um, sometimes it can drop a bit lower than that so in dry conditions perfect dry conditions the friction is at most that you'll get between thirty and forty percent common to use 0.32, uh as a figure as a multiplier of um, of the you know as as the coefficient of friction could be 0.32 which means 32% adhesion so um, if you have a really wet rail surface that can reduce down to between 20 and 30 percent if you've got in the morning if you've got the right amount of kind of misty drizzle plus you've got a layer of iron oxide that might have built up from a lack of trains overnight you know you, you get a little bit of rust builds up on the railhead that can mix up with the with the rain that can reduce <clears throat> that can reduce the friction down to between 10 and 20 percent which is a massive reduction. But actually, given that we just said a full service application requires nine percent G, you're still that nine percent that means you've still got you're still not gonna overcome that friction. So you're gonna get nice traction between the wheel and the rail. The problem comes, and as we're about to explain, leaf mulch can reduce that friction down to about um right down to like uh, what was it down to one or two percent or something like that so something absolutely tiny uh really low which means that if you've only got one or two percent um yeah 0.15 i think you can get it as low as if it's reducing to one or one or two percent adhesion that means that you only require one or two percent axle weight so a brake application of any more than one or two percent is enough to spin the wheels up which means that, or to give you wheel slide Um does that make sense have i explained that reasonably well so if you've got a brake application that's like a full service brake application because you've got a signal coming up that's 9%, um that means that you're going to exceed that that you've immediately exceeded that 1 or 2% that you have of adhesion between the wheel and the rail. So um that's bad. That means you're going to get wheel slip. Uh to to give an idea what what I mean by those 1% and and so percent what I'm saying is compared to dry conditions leaf mulch can reduce the um the adhesion between the wheel and the rail by over 95%. That's a massive reduction in friction. So that's a problem. Um, so Tom is asking, I'm assuming that the reason for steel on steel rather than higher friction alternatives is due to point loading or running friction. Basically, you don't, other than where you've got this leafy mulching nonsense, you've got plenty of friction there. But the steel-on-steel steel is because that's a sufficiently uh, cost-effective, because steel is reasonably abundant, but also a strong interface, which gives rail its edge. That, that By the fact that you've got a, a contact patch that's about the size of a thumbnail, about the size of a five-pence piece. I used to have a five-pence piece at Easy Access when I did lecturing. The contact patch under each wheel is about the size of a five-pence piece because, it, because it's a nice, strong interface. Because of that, friction is very low, which means that you have it hence the railway has an incredible energy efficiency advantage over all the alternatives so that's why we use steel on steel Um tires like the michelin tires uh, are stupid that makes it undermines all the benefits of being a rail of it being a railway but that does mean that we have in in those rare situations where you've got leaf mulch and on on leaves falling on the track it becomes a problem it becomes a problem so hopefully that was reasonably well explained but why why do, does leaf mulch become such a problem now we need to get sciency. Let me go back to small face. So there's there's the equation for friction. Here are some hilariously bad graphics stolen out of a. Um, uh, actually, you know what would be good is if I can get the get the paper up that actually goes into this. If I go into this and this, there's a paper that uh, this I've nicked this out of that hopefully should be quite interesting. Yeah, here we are. Uh, yeah right. So this isn't gonna be a page term, but here's the this this is a, a useful paper that you can download. Uh, Biochemistry of leaves on tracks. It's an RSSB paper, you can find it on Spark, I think, and it explains the actual science behind, um, uh, kind of explaining what what the you know, why leaf mulch creates this sort of issue, and it's quite interesting, really. Essentially. If we go down here, da-da-da-da-da. If you squish – let's get the slides back. If you squish – actually, there are two things going on here that might be worth me swapping this round. So if you squish – um, uh, I should put these the other way around. It's because they're in this order in the paper. If you squish this leaf film here, if you squish this um, – so if you get a load of leaves and squish them up, um, basically the stuff that's in the leaves, things like cellulose pectin – these sort of polymeric materials, uh, they retain a lot of water, which squeezes out when pressure is applied, um, which uh, you've got other things like fatty acids, uh, waxy bits and pieces. Uh, you've got inorganic, organic and in, uh, acids and inorganic kind of bi- bi- all these sorts of little bits and pieces. Also, you've got the metal, the steel kind of mixes up with it. Um, those are all very slippy, they're very good uh, lubricants. That, that behavior of holding water and then it's releasing it out means that you get a, it's a very slippy uh, slippy surface. You also get there within the leaf there are binding agents such as lignin, which lignin a fundamental part of trees um, uh, and, and leaves. And um, that protein uh, that, that kind of material rather it actually adheres to the rail surface. Combined with that, the reason it adheres to the real surface, these are terrible graphics out of this paper, by the way. These are like almost hilarious, like parody level science communication. Look at this. They've used impact font and look at that. It's horrifying. And they've used these stupid star things. And and also, they've used like italics and bold and Times New Roman. Just everything about this graphic is awful. But I've nicked it because it was hilarious um, out of this paper. Uh, Sorry to everyone who's in this university who's done this work. I'm sure you're very clever people, but you're graphics are worthy of parody um this is a bit better though over here which is a chemical equation of some of these polymeric uh uh, bonds and what they're saying is you end up with the surface of the rail ends up with a load of iron oxide uh which is if you like uh means that you have a load of uh, oh ions bouncing around at the surface of the rail head this then allows, to get chemical for a moment, this allows a load of intermolecular bonds to form between all this sort of cellulose, the organic acids, the kind of inorganic bits and pieces. You end up with a load of intermolecular bonds forming between this mulch and the top of the railhead, which essentially binds it onto the railhead. and makes it quite difficult to shift it. So you have the double whammy of, of all the, the properties of these sort of cellulose and all these sort of squishy stuff that retains the water in it and in its, and it's and themselves are quite slidey. Uh, you know they've got behaviors a bit like Teflon, essentially, combined with the fact that they naturally bond to the ionic to the ionic surface. Of the ra- if 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 you go back to your chemistry lessons and remember that if you've got a load of free sort of negative ions floating around, those bind If you've got these free bo- things, they can bind and bond to the. Likewise, you get this co- combining of the 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 iron with its free pluses and and the and the OHs with its negatives, and they bond. They create bonds passing through each other because chemicals are a load of free ions passing around each other so uh science diagrams that look like shit posts uh this is this is the tag anyway it forms a load of of, of hydrogen and oxygen bonds um which mean a uh, kind of temporary bonds so the, the what we call intermolecular bonds that hold this this horrible lubricant onto the top of the railhead which is a real problem but what can we do about these leaves then? What can we do about this? If this is such a problem, what, I mean, firstly, I mean, you could ask, in fact, there are a few questions. Let's go big face while I go through answering some of the questions. So I've explained that. Um, hopefully that was useful and and, and usefully explaining. Graham Harith is is giving us some extra chat. The good thing about the 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 Twitter the Twitter the uh, YouTube chat is that there's always a useful bit of additional explanation um, going on to kind of back up some of the stuff I'm explaining. Um, Matt Reed is asking. This is maybe a silly question. It is not a silly question. Is leaves on the line worse than having snow on it? I'm thinking it is, as snow will move out of the way easier. You're absolutely right, Matt. It wasn't a silly question, and you kind of answered it yourself. Snow is much less of a problem because there aren't any binding agents, so it kind of just ends up, the pressure turns it to water and it gets pushed out of the way. It does reduce adhesion, but it reduces adhesion to between, you know, maybe it's reducing it to maybe 15, 20, 25%. Um, or, or, you know, whereas, you know, as we've seen, these leaves can be reducing it down to, you know, 1%, to 5%, much lower. Um, so where are we? Uh, Eddie Owens complaining about benzene rings. Lovely. Adam Evans. This looks like something out of world. Well, there's your problem. Military PowerPoint episode. You ain't seen nothing yet. I've saved up a good one for you, Adam. Don't worry. Um, where are we? Biochemistry. Wow. Almost my field. Ah, Graham Harris, We'll read with interest. Thanks for the suggestion. Maybe I'll send a link out. Um, if it's, but it, to be honest, if you Google it, it'll, it'll, appear. Uh, yeah. If you just search, what is it? Search biochemistry of leaves on tracks. Um, you'll, you'll get it up. It sh- it's on the RSSB website it should be an easily available link. If it's not, uh let me know and I'll put it on the discord or I will um uh put a link I'll put a direct download link in the chat uh, in in the description of the video. In fact, I'll definitely I'll just do that. I'll just put a da- direct download link in the description. That let, let's let's do that. It's a lot easier, isn't it? Um so, uh where are we? There we go. Uh right. Oh, I didn't put the image up. I went I should have gone uh I did that and I didn't do this. There this 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 thing here here it is biochemistry of Lees on tracks. It's from twenty fifteen, but it's still the science is still contemporary. Um, who's done the work? Who is it who's done the work? It's, it's Newcastle and I uh, and Imperial College, uh, and also some stuff from uh, KTH Royal Institute of Technology and Tokyo Institute of Technology. So some interesting work there. They just can't do good graphics. Anyway, you know it's happened to it's happened to, to, to better people. Right, it's happened to worse people. So. What else are we going through here? What other queries have we got? Uh, I mean, Yeah, there we go. Uh, could they have an equivalent to snow chain, something like a rubber sleeve, could computer over the wheels, and we'll get to that. No no to that suggestion, because it would just wear out in five seconds. But to other things, we'll, we'll get to them. Um, uh, uh, well, oh, Simon, what are you saying? Uh, I was told that older trains tended to have block brakes rather than discs, uh, meant leaf mulch were scraped. Ah, so someone has asked, I think people are asking, why is this a problem now? Was it less of a problem in the past? A variety of reasons why this is a problem. Um, yeah, it's worth, this is worth exploring, actually. I, I, I kind of didn't put a slide in for it. I was hoping someone would ask the question. So firstly, we didn't have trees next to the railway. We did not have nearly as many trees next to the railway, if at all. They just weren't as close to the railway because they burst into flames, but also we had better maintenance. There was an awareness that we needed to keep the railways clear. Um, they were kept clear because of the risk of fire, so there was more of a necessity. We had higher level of maintenance, New rolling stock, diesels, electrics didn't require, didn't have that fire risk, so the foliage was allowed to encroach a little, but actually even right up until the 80s we had much better vegetation management. You can go back, so the area of the Salisbury crash, there were no trees there if you go back to the 1980s, none at all, um, really, not certainly not in, the, in proximity to the railway. So, um number one number two exactly as said we used to have more um we used to have fewer disc brakes and more block brakes now block brakes which which actually attached to the wheel acted to scrape some of the muck off the uh, uh, off the wheel head and they also heated the the wheel head and, and such so a variety of kind of minor mechanisms helped to make sure that there wasn't that mulch collecting although there were still problems with with this back in even steam days much less to a much lesser extent so that block breaking helped helped a bit um Disc brakes don't, but disc brakes are better at actually decelerating trains. So there's a bit of a bit of a, an offset there. Other issue is that we have um, we have lighter trains. That mean you know generally have lighter trains. That means that there's less you know, the, the the behavior at the wheel head is, is different. Key thing though is that we have a much more intensive timetable, which means that we're relying on trains being able to brake and accelerate more more aggressively, which results in the problem. Once you've lost traction, it's difficult to gain it again. So. There's an operational element here that we are running a much more intensive timetable. Trains are much closer together. In the past, we might have had the SPAD, but it wouldn't have had the risk because trains were further apart. So there are lots of things kind of playing in together here kind uh, uh, kind of to cause these issues. But what can we do about them? Um, so we're now going to go through a humorous list of a huge list of like f- over 50 things that we can do about this. But they break down into broadly three categories and I'm willing to chat and engage with and uh, kind of thoughts on, on any of the above subjects. Here is that PowerPoint presentation. The, the list I've got, this list I've got um, comes from the sixth edition of the Adhesion Working Group sort of, it's their manual, if you like, in, a, in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. But it is like with the, the image fades, the, the, this fade around the, the crop, the really bad logo like what is this logo there's so much going on different fonts and I have no idea what it's doing and it's not you know this isn't centralized uh, it's just dread it's dreadful and hilarious look at this it's just glorious um quite something um uh, but anyway this hat does have a useful table in it with about with 50 precisely 56 different options and I've included some others on top um and it kind of goes into some detail I'd w- again you can find this online this is available to download for everyone and it goes into some detail about where where they kind of, they were at in 2018. So this is contemporary for 2018. I, I, there might be some advances on what's happened on some of the things we're going to talk about here. Um and where they've got to in terms of research. But this is the this is managing Low, uh, low Adhesion it's worth kind of uh, having a pick through this is very good. A lot it's interesting that some of the suggestions I'm seeing um in the chat is are things that are in this list. But anyway, right. So uh, what can the railway do about leaves? Well, break down to three categories the number one thing we're going to talk about is actually reducing the risk from low adhesion events. So, okay, you've accepted that, that there's been a low adhesion event. What can we do to manage the risks as a result of that? So, yeah, what can we do? Well, here is the list. I've, I've, I've put it in this way. This is a very texty slide. I've done it in this way for humorous effect, because there are lots and lots and lots of things we can do. Um, so, and I am going to go through each of them. So, one of the first ones here is magnetic track breaks. So, um, if you've got it, let's make this white because that's uh, no good at all, let's just change my ink color to white, there we go. If you've had a low slip event, magnetic track brakes that actually attach to the railhead can allow you to then brake more rapidly than uh, if you're relying on a wheel that's, that's sliding over the top of the rail. So, magnetic track brakes, that is one option. A lot of people have asked about, do trains have ABS? They do. It's called wheel slide protection. We have it, it, it to varying levels of, of, of quality. Different trains have better or worse systems. It certainly exists. Um, uh, so that is a uh, that is uh, one of the things we can do, is, is, is rely on wheel slip slide protection to just improve braking performance. Autumn train detection techniques. Uh, this is related to... Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get that presentation up so that I can refer specifically to it there uh, we are. let's do, there, there. there is the presentation if you want to see it, uh, marvellous, uh, let's also get rid of that, I'm going to go down and just bring it up to make sure that I'm, there uh, we are, that's uh, down at this end, lovely, 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 yeah, so this is, so the autumn train detection techniques, this is very specifically in relation to, um, this is very specifically in relation to thing, this thing called TKDs, uh uh, which is um a system for activating where have have you gone i can't find you you lot it's a system for activating the track circuits so there's, there's, there's another challenge in relation to this which is if you've got that sufficient level of leaf mulch it can actually block this the this the current flow that enables the signaling system to work properly which is obviously a big issue you don't want that to happen so um uh Al- alfonso lapultre is saying magnetic track brakes pro stops trains quickly uh, cons turns passengers into um soup like homogenous uh, yeah no uh, yes and no it has been tested with reasonable success but it just has magnetic track brakes they have been tested with reasonable success but that project has not gone any further uh, i think partly because they would need to be fitted to it'd be expensive to fit them to old trains there's a potential that it'd be useful to fit them to to existing to, to future trains but again there's not um there's not necessarily you know that it's so a case of diminishing terms. That's a very expensive thing for limit. That's a lot of extra weight as well, for, and, and, and another system to potentially fail and to get to get maintained that doesn't have a particular all-round application. So there's some limitations to that. So T-cade, if we go back to these autumn train detection techniques, is a way to overcome that problem in relation to, um, for example, things like activating crossings or, or, or activating the signaling system. So there's a mixture of T-cades, which is TCAIDs, uh, lowercase s. So T-cades. But also things like axle counters instead of track circuits. So in terms of, you know, the track circuits are good for detecting broken rails, treadles, and and axle counters are good for for overcoming the problems associated with this uh, leaf issues. So things like leaf fall protection as well It's an option. Uh, portable tribometers. These um, tribometers detect adhesion. They detect um, the rate at which the rail is rotating in or the wheel is rotating in relation to the rail. to the rail. They detect. Um, the level of adhesion between the uh, on on kind of the rail uh, head surface so that they can be used and then that can provide a warning um so things like that can then provide a warning to um you know uh, generally it's done it's done not on the train but kind of uh, by by track workers um it can be used as guidance from for identifying trends that can help kind of broader strategic management kind of tactical level sort of do we need to bring the train up you know bring the one of the Leaf-busting trains through and, and solve the problem that way. um So here we go uh, line-side low adhesion identification and warning systems. These uh these systems uh, do exist. Th- there was a system called Laws L A W S that was developed and tested on Thames trains during ninety-seven ninety-eight, um, and no longer it was no longer in use. Uh, it's been kind of pulled out. There were systems based on wheel slip activity, and this would allow some level of warning feedback couple with weather station monitoring that you you a bit of a join up all the dots and you can allow better application essentially you can drivers know that there's a risk they can drive very carefully and defensively through the area uh, again weather stations help with this they help predict these problems also things like not just oh, there's a lot you know, things like wind if there's a, a kind of high wind event that's likely to bring a lot of leaves down rain you know the the, the combination of w- leaves and rain uh, increase the likelihood of this sludgy stuff lineside signs you will see these around you will see the line side signs around um, they provide a reminder of high-risk sites and and, and and kind of advise you know they, they also allow drivers to be to, to direct their defensive driving techniques to areas that have high risk so rather than doing just general defensive driving everywhere they can just do it in targeted areas that are high that are known to be high risk which is which is useful you know things these site markers are, are, are slightly different in that those are related to um. Where are we? Uh, da, da, da. they're kind of um so that's to do with, like automatically dispensed uh, markers saying oh there's a low adhesion site a passing train marks that marks it and then it's something that others can come and fix the problem but a, the mixed success it was likely to remain visible when the site's no longer a problem which leads to unnecessary delays that sort of thing so not a great system um low adhesion protection systems this is a pretty uh, sorry prediction systems this is related to um, alerting control staff and then eventually direct uh, kind of uh, drivers of oncoming low adhesion conditions it allows the targeting of the problem locations in real time minimizes delays um, this is something that's been considered there's a thing called adhesion controllers condition assessment tool is it's actually in use on the central line for for the automatic uh, train operation authority um, this has been trialed on the main lines but not adopted by the industry Chilton lines again, they they were trialing this, um, but it's it's been incorporated into broader systems, but maybe not quite to the level that it's actually part of the essentially part of the, the train control system. Um, I talk rapidly and I don't breathe much, which is why I yawn. It's awful for the uh, for the people listening in, in podcast form. I'm so sorry. Uh, Tim Ballum has brought up Eddie Current braking. Uh, that's a good point. Eddie Current braking is something that's not on this list, but that could be part of you know as a backup system they yeah, very true um uh, david Shepherd saying put should all train should we put all trains on the internet and have live monitoring we will come to that we will come to that another fact feature which isn't in this list actually is is the fact we just have autumn timetables we have timetables that allow for a bit more space between trains uh we allow that they allow for journey times to increase a little bit they allow for defensive driving um things yeah which also leads to defensive driving techniques this is a method which is what drivers use uh, probably the better part of prevention or or the management of low adhesion risks is as a result of drivers um you know uh, driving defensively you know being very gentle on the accelerator being very gentle on the brakes um driver advisory systems so this is about helping drivers to actually drive defensively or indeed to to say you don't need to drive defensively here so those those as well and as we just talked about there's the internet of things uh, detection systems this is about um this is this is sort of relying on uh this is about detection so it's a picture of moisture detection uh leaf mulch detection um and this de- communicates that data in real time back to the train system or to a, a kind of a like a you could have it in the r- 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 the railway operating center where you have adhesion management going on and, and that can feed to them as well so so a bit of yeah internet of things uh, joined up system connecting all of this um matt reed i'm about to answer your question um Jeremy Zark is going, isn't eddy current braking magnetic trap braking? Uh, yes and no. I think eddy current braking relies on electrical current, whereas the magnetic trap braking... Oh, well, maybe, I mean, magnetic trap braking could be too. I'm not sure. Uh, see also other cleverer people. And then other things like onboard detection of low adhesion as well. Like, oh, we've had a low adhesion event. Right, well... Uh, the train's going to do something about it automatically sand for example so those are a list of things that can be done to manage those risks, to reduce the risk uh, from low adhesion events the next thing we can do is actually improve adhesion at the railhead so things that we can do to actually improve so so rather you know so that 1% that mu value the coefficient of friction increasing it up from maybe 1% adhesion up to maybe 10 15% ideally or even higher if we can um, and there are lots of things we can do about that in fact here is a massive list of all of them good grief um, <laughs> yeah and there are lots and I'm not necessarily all of these do broadly the same thing and I'm not going to dwell on them in the same detail I did the previous ones because um, there's lots of them but we're going to talk about the ones that are used a lot so without further ado plasma torch there is a plasma torch treatment train train mounted water jetting uh, which is used Sodium bicarbonate blasting, tractide water sprayed, rails in water troughs, that's doolally. Some of these are pretty wacky by the way. Um train mounted water sprays, uh dismissed because what's quite a few of these like the water sprays are too, a spray isn't enough, and it ends up causing ice, potentially icing on the railhead, which is even worse. Or water spraying, reducing the the, the reducing it rather than improving it. Laser railhead cleaning. This train mounted laser railhead cleaning is a thing that has been trialled. Doesn't seem to have gone anywhere though. Steam cleaning again, trialled uh not so much going anywhere. Sandite trains. Now the two things that we need to bear that are used most here are the water jetting and the sandite train. They're normally combined into one and it's called the railhead treatment train. Um and we're going to show you a picture of it momentarily, in fact a video of it momentarily. Um but we'll, we'll do that after I've gone through this doolally list. So what else have we got? We've got rail grinding suggested as an option, but that's really not an effective, cost-effective way of achieving it. Rail scrubbing. Um, so people just going out scrubbing the rails. In a way, we kind of do that. We do send people out with brushes to clear the rail head. Train-mounted rail scrubbers. Uh, not effective at the speeds we're talking about. Portable rail scrubbers where you kind of wheel along uh, or you have it on the front of one of the um, Aquarius uh, Land Rovers. Uh, tire cleaning with auxiliary tread brakes. Well, that's kind of almost going back to how brakes used to be. Uh, again, tire scrubber blocks, tread conditioning blocks, these things. Train-mounted sanders. We have these. We, we train sanders have been a thing since the days early days of steam, where you have you, the train automatically applies sand. Um, so those exist that is an option ceramic particle jetting is something that's been trialed but uh, abrasive blasting again there's some other options of blasting to get the stuff off the railhead and um, friction modifiers that so so you have a a system that, that applies a, a kind of a not a lubricant that's the wrong word but a friction modifier that actually increases the the friction as well as maybe attacking the the material that's in the, that's in the leaves themselves and that's where you come onto some of these other features like um uh actually yeah like diminin and turgitol and gum arabic which are all like attack the leafy mulch as well as improve uh, adhesion what else have we got we've got uh, service train adhesion modifiers this is so this is a thing that applies a sort of a pulp it's uh, so not a pulp like a, a, a friction modifier to the wheel to chain but it isn't a sander that that applies microwave railhead cleaning now someone asked about this this has been trialed it isn't it doesn't seem to be making its way into industry mainstream but it's still in it's still kind of in that it's in that the difficult second album stage of any innovation any university directive innovation is that small scale you can do it in the lab easy because it's all university that's fine you can even get to the point where it's being trialed in a physical on the physical operational railway but getting it to go from that point to now it's going to be a thing is very difficult. And I think it's in that difficult stage It's the, with both the steam and the microwave, uh, railhead cleaning. They're both in that stage, I believe. Um, likewise, although I'm not sure non-contact ultrasonic cleaning, I think has not got as far, but yeah, the cryogenic. Oh yeah. The dry ice railhead cleaning, the cryogenic side is also, uh, in that difficult reaching the kind of going to reach the um, you know, going from it's being trialed on one train to it's now on all trains is very difficult. You've got to build a load of business cases and, and justify it being another point of failure on the railway. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. Matt Reed, uh, is that is the gel in, this, in, in the tub, in the yellow tub, grease tubs? Yeah, those are lubricators. Um, but it's less like that. Actually, friction modification is more like a, it looks more like a paint, a thin paint being applied to the railhead. So that's all of those. The one that we'll see most often is um, uh, oh yeah, we're going to talk about sandite in a minute. But actually, also it's 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 the the train-mounted water jetting uh, here, where you have a very high-pressure water jet that's fired, and then sandite is applied. That's what the railhead treatment trains are, and we're going to show you one of those uh, right now. Here's me in Denmark Hill Station. Simon, on your turn. It? just does that uh, and some of them uh oh you i not know gonna do talk amongst yourselves while that goes there because i i need to uh it's, it's gonna pause but i need to get a video up right i need to get a video up uh it was a gl- it's a glorious video and i promise it'll be worth it i'm gonna get the slideshow i mean i'm gonna slot this in because this is absolutely worth it for anyone who missed it um i promise you where is it come on I need, it's a video yeah here it is right good i'm gonna shift d this I'm going to then do this, which is going to open up there, and it's going to go here. This is, I promise you, everyone, this is worth it. Oh, here we go. There it is. That's what I want. Copy that onto here. Oh, there it is. And I'm going to do this, and then I'm just going to minimize this, and then we're going to minimize this, and then I'm also going to do uh, – I'm going to then go back over here. this, this will be, I promise you this is going to be worth it. So that was the that was the very hard treatment training going past, but also um, it can be on a – So if I do this, you can see it can be on a, like, attached to one of the old wheels. Or... No, I know you can't hear me in the trains. I wasn't really saying anything of any value. Sorry. So the uh, the previous one is like a, a rail track MPV, the one that's kind of one one lump. That weird boxy green and blue thing was was the old rail track uh, multi-purpose vehicle that has the stuff mounted on it. Or as we just saw there, in a uh, unbelievably filthy uh, video of um, two heritage delivery 37s hauling a load of those blue tanker wagons they can also be a formation of a kind of a regular train formation like that. So there's the two different uh, options that you have um, for moving those trains around, which is great. So that's uh, that's two of the options. But those are a mixture of high-pressure water jetting and Sandite. Now, Sandite is interesting because it brings us back to um, the advanced passenger train, weirdly. So when the advanced passenger train was trying to achieve its um, uh, kind of, um trying to achieve its rapid acceleration and deceleration, they were experimenting with a material um, that was sprayed on it was not a sanding device it was it was a track mounted I believe and it was sp- or it was sprayed onto the track anyway and it, it <coughs> supposedly improved friction but it was found that um, it wasn't very good and it had a bit of like it had like sand in it and it was found actually that that sand because of the the gel that bound the sand when it was crushed, um, the gel, uh, when the, the grains of sand got sufficiently small, smaller than the gel particles, the gel was actually acting as a lubricant, not as a. So, so that was a bit rubbish, and so the 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 engineers, the researchers who were working on APT, the chemists actually, and you can read about this in British Railway Stinks, which is a great book, which we we should probably talk about in a future episode, maybe get the author on. Um. So what? They, so British Rail in the early seventy, the late sixties, early seventies, started undertaking research into a material that would not. Result in becoming a, it would not become a lubricant once the grains of the of the grippy thing were sufficiently worn down, and they actually found that this um it's got was it? called like lebites lebite or lebnitite or some some clay some um kind of um human created clay byproduct, um something lebnitite or something um is a um provided when it was crushed down because it was a clay it, it actually continued to provide uh. A friction benefit once the the grains of sand are kind of sufficiently mixed down and so combining sand and this lubnite or whatever it is called uh clay mix the com- combination of these two was called sandite uh developed by british rail used globally now and it was indeed started to be rolled out in the mid 1970s um, as a result of the kind of uh, as a consequence of the apt project and um, over time that's now been mixed with um antifreeze uh, it's been mixed with some sort of crushed, sort of like steel grains as well. Uh, so some additional products have been added to that. They slightly tweak the recipe so that the the, the steel is in there to, to enable there to be current to, to current to be. So rather than sandite forming a, an insulating layer, it means that the sandite now conducts electricity, which means it doesn't break signaling. So Sandite is a material. It's fairly inert, so it doesn't have particular environmental concerns with with application. Sand and sand, so sand off sanders for trains, and sandite itself fairly inert. The clay is fairly inert, and the volumes involved are quite low. Okay, the the tra- a lot of it gets put on the railway, but it's put on the rail at very long railway, so it's not huge volumes being put down. So, um, so that's sandite. That's the jetting train. So that's uh, generally the way that you can improve adhesion at the railhead. But there is a third thing we can do, which is we can avoid. The leaves reaching the rails in the first place and there are a few ways we can do this aside from the obvious here's our list it's a very long list um here you can see so okay we're going to come back to the to the top two at the top for obvious reasons but there are other things you can do you can chemically treat the trees um so that they don't drop their leaves or so that they drop their leaves in a controlled way and um, you can inject trees with dwarfing agents to make them gross less uh, you can spray them with leaf bud suppressant to stop them forming leaves these all sound dubious to sell, by the way. You can use microbiological techniques, so you can use microbes to actually um, make the, the trees have fewer leaves. These also sound like a horrifyingly bad idea. You can spray glue onto the leaves as they've fallen down to stop them blowing around. That's pretty fanciful. Some of these are pretty wacky, by the way. You can apply heat just prior to leaf fall to, to, to change the behavior of the leaves crunch them up so they disintegrate into nothing or so that they fall in a certain controlled way. You can actually put up uh, fences or hedges to stop the leaves reaching the railway. That also leads to leaf traps that, that, that stop the leaves reaching the railway. Think on leaf guard, which is like these weird clips that clip onto the railhead, create air vortices that stop leaves sitting on the top of the rail. That's do lally. You also get, like, train-mounted versions of those. Or you get air dams fitted to the front of trains that, as some other people have been suggesting... Air dams actually push the leaves out the way before the wheels arrive. So it's almost like a cow catcher for leaves. Someone suggested that in the chat. So points uh, for them. Yeah, likewise, you get these aerodynamic deflectors, bogey interference to influence airflow. All these things are kind of doing the same thing. Or you can go out with a big hoover, collect the leaves before they hit the railway, or have a vacuum on the train, and then have one of those, a train that goes around and vacuums leaves up. These were the, the vacuum... The train vacuum was actually tested on on Old uh, old Dalby, the test track there. And then again, you can also have leaf scoops that scoop the leaves away before they can form the mulch on service trains. These are all, so all these ones, these are all pretty doolally, to be honest. The two key ones here are obviously that you clear, get rid of trees off the railway, kill the roots. And then, or there's the the basically what is the same thing, which is you go for selective clearance and and some level of kind of planting, the sort of slightly softly softly approach. Basically, we have a lot of trees uh, on our railway uh, and next to our railway, within railway land, and indeed in some cases even more problematically uh, just outside the railway boundary that we don't, the railway doesn't have much control over. Lots and lots of of trees, and 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 by and large. This is There are benefits to this, you know, there are habitat benefits to this. You have the benefits of, you know, lots of different plant species, bird species, reptiles, amphibians, butterflies, mammals, moss, other invertebrates, bees, all these good things, these rare species that you can find on or within a kilometre of the rail network. Thanks for this graphic network, really. It's a nice one. But the trouble is these trees have a nice habit of, well, doing a couple of things, actually. One, they drop all their leaves if they're a certain, certain species um, of trees... Actually, interestingly, non-native, regionally non-native, not just UK, but regionally non-native trees often are ones that cause problems. Um, if they're you know deciduous trees, they would drop their big chunky leaves and that causes a leaf problem. But also those trees have a habit of falling down and causing problems as well. This is a photo from um, Mildhorn, uh, between Enveria and Aberdeen. This is near Dice, I think, of lots of trees fell down during uh, Storm Arwen. Oh, yeah, that was the news. Oh, was it? Storm Arwen happened. Anyway, um, the lots of trees fell. I think they had like 12 or more trees falling onto the railway this is bad, right? For a lot variety of reasons, not least safety reasons. Uh, here's lots of tree trees that have decided to become part of the train that has passed them. Um, all sorts of bad things going on here. Not least, yet more evidence that HST is a disaster. Look at the state of it. As I always point out, it is a thin, upturned bathtub which provides no driver protection. Here's a good example. Whereas by comparison, you can see okay, a bit better driver protection. Lots of mess of trees hitting trains in all sorts of you know bad bad, bad, this is not ideal, particularly if it goes underneath the wheels and derails the train, Uh, this is not ideal at all, pretty bad, all of this is very scary stuff. Um, We do not want trees to be falling in front of trains, uh, for safety reasons, but also because with all these leaves, it causes, as we've seen, serious safety risks, as well as not giving it, as well as giving us a much less reliable and much less resilient railway. So, you know, given all the damage that trees cause to OLE, that could be cause to, to falling on the track, delaying trains. Yes, there is plenty of railway land where trees uh, can be planted, but actually let us move away from the idea that trees are the only habitat. We can have lots of low-level plants, shrubs, grasses that are good for good good habitat, nice meadowland, kind of angled sort of hill slope meadow that doesn't involve trees. We also need to break out away from the idea that trees are a, are, are necessary for earthwork stability. In most cases, they're not. That's a myth. The idea that you need a tree to bind the soil—that's a very, un, uh, very unsustainable way of binding uh, earthworks. It's much better to have a, a nice homogeneous earthwork that is bound by the fact that it's a healthy earthwork, not because it's got tree roots. Tree roots often actually do the opposite. They provide a pathway for water uh, and split the earthwork apart and allow it to fail. So it's it's a myth that needs to be busted. So chop the damn trees down, folks. That's what we need to do is chop the damn trees down. Um, there, is, there is plenty of place for rail, for trees to be planted elsewhere. We're not talking about large volumes of trees here. The numbers of individual trees might be high, but the hectares are very low. And the railway could, for example, if it's chopping a certain number of trees down, it can go and plant more elsewhere. And rightly, it should be doing that. you know. But but actually, is it the railway's job to do that? No, I'd say it's government. Government's saying, well, we're running a railway, which means that we're tackling the, the causes of... Uh, of um, um, anthropomorphic climate change uh not anthropomorphic and anthrop- whatever it is human created climate change we're tackling that by reducing our carbon emissions it's also government's responsibility to plant a dump ton of trees elsewhere and also preserve habitats and stop demolishing trees for roads so chop the damn trees down, fo- down folks get rid of the damn trees if there is a tree that is 1.5 times its height near the railway it should be gone it's as simple as that Uh, It's very important for earthwork health as well. Uh, Trees are bad news for earthworks generally. So the trees need to go, folks. Um, uh, Anyway, yeah, so so Gareth Dennis, 2021, chop the damn trees down. There we are. Um, Anthropogenic, thank you, blobby tables. I needed that. Um, So any thoughts, folks, before we uh, roll to the end? Here we go. Uh, Is government running the railways? Well, yeah, government has been running the railways uh, since the 40s. Uh, and had significant influence before then, and it hasn't changed. Privatisation resulted in the railways being run, but it resulted in government having even more control of the railways. Um, uh, Where are we here? Let's have a look. What else is going on? Uh, lots of chat. Uh, Jeremy Zark, I'll post in the Discord a photo of a, of a Canadian national train back in the day that hit a truck full of logs. Oh, golly. Um, Where are we? Uh, Dave asks, what are common approaches amongst our peers? Generally, they don't have trains near the rails. They have a much wider railway corridor without tree. I mean, some places do have these problems. You know, Sandite is applied in other countries. It's used in other countries, so these problems do exist. But generally, they've got. Generally, the approach is is to have, um, is to is to clear trees uh, adjacent to the railway. Um, Martha Lauren, good job. Nobody's keeping HSTs running based on questionable passenger service, where people said they liked riding on the trains to and from London in the Highlands. Uh, Martha, we should exchange notes. Uh, I love HSTs for their legacy. I do not think they should be running mainline services anymore. Charters, fine. Mainline services, n- n- timetabled services, no. Um, see also previous rail matters. Oh, what else have we got? Uh, uh, Re- Re- Remy uh, Cardona, forgive me if I've, not, I've mispronounced your name. SNCF um, reported felling of trees responsible for landslides not making up. Um, uh, yeah, that's not, people say that they say that tree felling causes landslides but that is only where you've got a very poor quality earth, earthwork uh, honestly um honestly see uh, like uh, the research the academic research shows the opposite is the case that, that trees are generally a problem rather than a, that rather than solving the problems it's much better to have a binding shrub or grass that binds the top surface stop the top surface being washed away um you know it's, it's much more important to have that um Trains having drones running in front of them, and then fallen trees and everything. That sounds like a, a disaster. That's no, that's a dreadful idea. Um. Right. Anyway, lots of stuff going on here. Do we have an eco-friendly way to use trees near the railway so they don't get turned into firewood? Uh, all sorts of different things we could do. Yum. Know, uh, I'd suggest that that, that, that kind of uh, charring them and burying them is a good way. You know, if we're going to bury them, you know, carbon sequester them. You know, that's. Uh, or they can be mulched up. There are all sorts of things we could do with them. Yeah. Um. Uh, Alfonso Lapulche, there's always discussion that trees hold and banks together and to prevent landslips. Is there any science backing that? My understanding of the science is no, not really. There's not any science backing that. Generally, the experience is the opposite. Uh, lots of research done at the University of Southampton around trees, and they're generally a problem. Uh, so, to my mind, it's a myth. I think it's just there's a real matter. It'd be good to get the research, people who've done the research on that, uh, up. Root asset managers might have different feelings, but um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so. A drone in front of every train, just in case. No, no, no. Right. Anyway, enough about drones. Let's uh, let's end the episode, shall we? Because uh, it's it's getting late. Uh, I wanted this to be more of an hour. I'm trying to discipline myself to keeping this to an hour. Oh, let's get rid of my old face. So, uh, thanks to everyone listening in audio only form. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you along. Uh, the podcast seems to be working fine. I think. Um, all good podcasting platforms. Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis for the Patreon, um, for your supporters. I've been asking a lot of advice from the Patreon people recently, so thank you to all of you. Um, uh, Yes, very much thank you to all of you. Uh, I I hope to be rewarding you in some nice ways over the next year. Um, Here's hoping. The merchandise from Masquette, of course. uk slash collection slash RailNatter or just search RailNatter merchandise. I think it'll appear. Uh, masks, which we should all be wearing on public transport and in shops again, so there's a need for the masks once more. And also the mugs, uh, which I need to get myself a mug, actually. I need to order myself one of the mugs. Uh, masquette people. Uh, I, I'll, order, I'll order a mug from you soon. and um, PayPal, if you want to send me a nice message and chuck me pennies, you can do that on paypal.me slash Dennis. You don't have to do it to send me a message. You can tweet me and say a nice thing, or you can tweet me and say a horrible thing. Uh, many do. And then the Discord is where all the chat happens. Um, garethdennis.co.uk slash Discord is where all this, basically the chat that's been happening in the side here, but um, more of that. <laughs> uh, and it's always good. It's a, it's a, It's a joyous place. Next week's episode is going to be a page turn through the Union Connectivity Review should be interesting. It's another page turn and um, Union Co- Connectivity review came out talking about transport. I think it's well worth us taking a good look at that, so that should be fun. Now, uh, so Jon, that's next, next week, that'll be live. Now, big and exciting news. Episode 99, which is the 100th episode of Rail Natter, is going to be, well, it's going to be a pre-record for anyone who's not coming live, but it's going to be live in York, at a pub of some kind here in York, and it's going to be on the Saturday the 27th of January 2022. There will be event, a proper Eventbrite thing so you can buy tickets. It's going to be ticketed. Um, I haven't fully agreed on and decided on the charity, but I think it's going to be for uh, raising money for York LGBT Forum. Which is a really good uh, organisation that does loads of positive, uh, lots of positive work uh, across York. So I think it's going to be with them. I need to meet up with them, have a chat. I think it's going to be them, not confirmed yet. But um, it's going to be, there'll be about, probably, I think it's going to be 30 or 40 tickets. I'm going to do a a bit of a thread on them. when that's... Uh, I'm going to do a bit of a, th- a thread. I'm going to do a poll on Twitter. I've already done some chat in the Discord about how interested people are. And it seems that 30 to 40 is a reasonable number, which is actually quite a lot of people. So fitting those those people with sufficient chairs or whatever in a space might actually be tricky. So it might be a bit of a first-come, 1st first serve situation. Um, I'll be putting more details in the next couple of weeks um, also working at venue and, and working at the tech and blah blah blah. But it's going to be a pre-record, so it'll be live for everyone who's there, and then it'll be a pre-record that'll then go up. But it'll be a bit of fun. It'll be nice to do a live episode anyway in front of humans. Um, yes, it is going to be. A, it'll be in a pub. There will be um, alcohol and non-alcohol for all to enjoy, um, and, and also possibly like I don't know, maybe also they'll they'll do some chips. I don't know, uh, but they'll definitely afterwards. We'll definitely go and get some food and generally have a bit of a night of it, and it'll be great. Um, I'm looking forward to it very much. it would be lovely to meet lots of you if you can come and attend. Um, I will put the details up very soon once I've organized a venue and worked out how many people I'm going to do it for. But I'm thinking 40 is the number at the moment because I don't think I'll be able to accommodate any more than that anywhere. So that is it. That, that's, that's exciting, I think. I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to meeting lots of you. Oh, let's get Big Face back. That's next time. So yeah, Saturday, 22nd of January uh, 2022 for that, um, which is nice because it's so, so that episode will be going out on. Uh, it'll be going out on the second of February, which will be two 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 two. It's also going to be going. Uh, the pre-record will be on the two two one two two. So that's also quite fun. I like number patterns. So yeah, it'll be a laugh. Oh, I'm for those of you who can't come. I'm sorry, but there will be another one. I'm going to do more of them if it works. I'll do more, and I'll also work out how to make it double live. I, I, at the moment. You know, baby steps. Let's do it. It's going to be live for those who are there, and then a pre-record for when it uploads. Maybe eventually I'll do double live ones, but that will require possibly paying someone to do the t- the tech. It'll certainly involve a bit more stuff. Let's baby steps, folks. Baby steps. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. Have you got any questions before I disappear? Um, when do I think the t- tickets will actually be available? Um, they will be available. I'll make them available to Patreon people first. So, they'll get the link first before I advertise it because it'll be because you know, Patreon people deserve a a benefit, they'll get a bit of a discount as well. But, um, those who aren't patrons will be they, they, I will keep some tickets back, so they're not all going to get gobbled by Patreon because I will keep a few back. Um, I don't think all the Patreon people gobble up them all, them all up anyway, but I'm waffling. I hope that the uh, that will appear some point later in december so so kind of maybe the last couple of weeks in december i need to organize the venue and actually have a chat with places and work out where it's going to be first uh, and see how that's going to go oh anyway yeah lots of nice palindromic numbers graham everyone uh, since since i don't see any questions which is good it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure thank you so much for joining everyone i will see you next week oh
1: cheerio
0: (laughs) cheerio Well, that didn't work, did it? I have to do that again because I managed to break the thing. That's fine. You get some extra bonus content. Hello, everyone on the, uh, on, on the on the on uh, the podcast. You're getting some nice bonus content while well, I uh, make that work again, which it didn't because I broke it because I accidentally clicked my slidey uh, rail wheel. Let's do this and then do this and then also do uh, do this, which then allows me to do <laughs> professional as ever. Bye, cheerio.